And it occurred to me last week during the prayer times, we're praying for all the needs. I never did read the resolutions last week. I'm sure several of you noticed that. I did have a couple of people tell me, but I, I just totally forgot. So let me go ahead and give you um, resolution number three and resolution number 24. They're kind of linked together in this idea of repentance. And I went ahead and just, um, as I had a couple of people encourage me to do, try to rewrite these and maybe something that's a little bit more modern flowing. Um, so resolution number three says, I resolve that if my spiritual sensitivity wanes, so that I fail to keep any part of these resolutions, that I will repent of everything I can remember when I become spiritually astute again. We have those moments sometimes where we're not as focused spiritually. We kind of, you know, uh, maybe lose our sense that we become desensitized. Maybe we haven't been in the Word for a few days, or maybe we haven't been thinking about spiritual matters. or just become just lackadaisical in our Christian walk. And when we're out of sync with the Lord, when we're not walking in the Spirit, there's opportunity then to walk in the flesh. And so those breed opportunities for sin. And so sometimes when we're spiritually lazy or spiritually apathetic or just spiritually lackadaisical, what Edwards was saying here is that when I sort of come to my senses, if you will, when I kind of become spiritually aware again, become spiritually sensitive, then I'm going to examine my life. And where, where I have sinned against the Lord, I want to repent of those things. I don't want to let those things just be acceptable in my life. I don't want sin to have any place in my life. So whenever I kind of go into these periods or moments where I've, my spiritual sensitivity wanes, then when I sort of come out of that, when, I, when the Lord redirects my heart back to Him, then I'm going to repent of those things that I've done that have displeased Him. And then Resolution 24 says that I resolve that whenever I do anything so obviously sinful, that I will trace it back to its original motivation and then strive earnestly never to do it again and to fight and pray with all my might against that sinful motivation. So the idea there is that when we sin, sometimes, well, not sometimes, there is a cause for that sin, right? Whether it's temptation, whether it's sinful desire, whether it's, you know, a besetting sin. There, there's some motivation that leads us to sin. All, all, of, all of our spiritual life, whether good or bad, originates from the heart, right? Our heart is where uh, what, 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 proceed, what we do outwardly actually begins inwardly. Jesus talks about that, that the sins that we can see outwardly begin with, with the heart, right? And so what Edward is saying here is that when I sin, I want to figure out what, what the motivation was for that. And then, to use a Puritan word, big word, mortify that sin. Put that sin to death. Never do it again. And then also, fight and pray with all my might against that motivation. So he's speaking here both the outward action. I don't want to do that sin again. But then also, I want to, I want to mortify that desire. I want to kill that desire. I want to make sure that I, I cut off that motivation so that I don't, I don't go down that road again where I lead, where I commit that sin. And so what these two resolutions bring to the forefront here is the idea or the importance of repentance in the Christian life. And what we talked about last week was more um, the role of repentance in conversion, right? That's, that's, the, that's the first step. We cross over from being not a Christian to being a Christian. How does that happen? Well, we repent of our sins. Our non-Christian life is characterized by sin, sinful thoughts, sinful desires, sinful actions. The heart is desperately wicked above all, right? Desperately corrupt. Who can cure it? They talk about the flood and how the, the, the thoughts and the imaginations of those who lived in the flood generation were just totally wicked, right? The same is true for everyone. We, the doctrine of total depravity. We believe that all people that are born are born 
with sin. We're totally depraved. That if, if God were to take off His common grace, His restraints from our lives, we would give ourselves completely and totally uh, to, to sinful things. Okay? And so to cross over from, from death to life, to go from being not a Christian to being a Christian, requires, first of all, repentance of that sin, abandoning that way of life, no longer living in such a way that we displease God. And then, of course, with that, the, same, the, the opposite side of the same coin, if you will, is faith, right? Trusting in Christ, trusting what he has done, that his work on the cross cleanses us, uh, cleanses us of our sin and then calls us to live a, a holy life, sanctifies us, okay? And so we talked about what that does in conversion, that by repenting of sin, we put away that, that former way of life, but then also what has God done for us and made us into being? Well, he's made us to be a new creation in Christ. Right? He has sanctified us. He has made us to be holy. He has washed us and cleansed us. He has united us with Him, with Christ, so that we have Christ's heart and we have Christ's life and we have Christ's mind so that we can live like Christ. We can, we can be obedient to His commands. We can follow after His pattern of life. We've been called to a new way of life. In other words, uh, the way of life we once lived is no longer the proper way. We are now to, we're called to follow in Christ's way. And then we also have a new destiny. So repentance should bring, it ought to bring, it does bring a radical change in one's life. But we also know the reality of being a Christian is that even though we ought not to sin again, we still struggle with sin, right? That's almost uh, Romans, Romans 7, right? When Paul goes into the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I do, I don't want to do. Right? That, that struggle between, I know what God calls me to, but then I have these, I have these sinful patterns of doing the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things that He desires me to do. We have that struggle with, with the flesh. So, it just very practically speaking, a Christian continues to struggle with sin even after his conversion. And of course, this struggle is a lifelong struggle. There is this tension that theologians refer to as the already but not yet. Right? That there is, there are some things that are true that are already, for example, we have already been sanctified. If someone were to come to you and say, are you sanctified? Your answer would be yes. Christ has sanctified me by his blood. He has washed me by his blood. He sees me as holy. I'm justified before him. But at the same time, we are not sanctified in the sense that that's still being worked out, right? So if I ask Adam here, Adam, are you sanctified? The answer is really yes and no. Yes in the sense Christ has sanctified me. That's what the Bible says. It's true. But then also there's a sense in which that is being worked out. Uh, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So we refer to this as a progressive sanctification, that sanctification is being worked out, right? The already is I have been sanctified, the not yet is I'm not yet, but it's, it's happening. It's working. As the Spirit's working in my life, as I'm walking with Christ, he is sanctifying me and making me holy. Uh, Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as much as you, have always, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I love that verse because there is that call to work out your salvation. What God has done in you now is to be worked out, is to be developed, is to be put into practice. And so it implies there that not, not God's work in us is not yet done. 
right? In fact, it goes on, he goes on in verse 13 to say, God is working in you. So while we're called to work out our salvation, God is working in us to work that salvation out. So there is that sanctifying work that continues uh, to, to happen. So while repentance brings us transformation in a salvation sense, right, from non-Christian to Christian, how do we as Christians deal with this ongoing reality of sin in our lives? As much as we don't want it, how do we deal with it? And the answer is the same way we dealt with that, that first response to faith, right? The call to faith. Just as we repented of our sins in coming to Christ, we, repent, we continue to repent of our sins as we sin, trying to live out the Christian life. Okay, so repentance is then to be sort of an ongoing reality for the Christian. So let's talk a little bit about the role of repentance in the Christian life. And let me just say a couple of things to kind of just keep some things straight. First, we need to understand that committing sin does not cause one to lose his salvation so that he needs to be resaved. All right? There are some Christians who believe that. There are some Christian denominations that believe that, that if you sin, that you lose your salvation essentially, and you need to be resaved. And we don't believe that. We don't believe that that's what the Bible teaches. I think Scripture is very clear that when Christ saves his elect, they remain saved all the way to the very end. So it should be very comforting to us that even though it's not our desire to sin, though sin is a reality in our Christian life, that it does not cause us to lose our salvation, does not cause us to need to be re-saved. Okay? So let's keep that in mind. That should give us, again, a sense of assurance. Sin should not make us hopeless. We ought not to despair. The second thing I think we need to keep straight is that because sin will be an ongoing reality in the believer's life, it doesn't mean we are to be cavalier about sin. Okay? So in other words, we shouldn't just throw up our hands and say, well, that's just the way it's going to be. I'm not going to be perfect until I go to heaven. God's still working in me. You know, oh, well, I sinned. No big deal. Or, oh, I'll just go ahead and commit this sin because I know God's going to forgive me of my sins. That's not the proper attitude to have. Okay? I think Paul is very clear about this, especially in Romans 6, that when he makes the comment in Romans 5 that where grace abounds, or where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. But he goes on in chapter 6 to say, that doesn't mean that you go keep sinning to get more grace, right? He's very, very strongly arguing there that we are to no longer walk in that way. God's called us out of that, and so we're to live in a new way. We're not to, we're not to entertain sin. We're not to be okay with sin in our lives, right? So we're not to have a cavalier attitude. We also don't want to be despairing into utter hopelessness because we don't have immediate victory over sin. So when we sin, although we should have a sense of contrition about it, there should be a sense of sorrow over our sin, right? Godly sorrow does what? Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Okay, so we're not to be despairing, not to be um, frustrated because we don't have immediate victory over sin. It also means we don't, have, we don't give ourselves a license to sin either. Sin is antithetical to God's nature, and therefore it is antithetical to our salvation and to the new way of life to which he has called us. So repentance is a necessary discipline of the Christian life if we are going to make progress in our sanctification. So repentance is a means of grace that God has given to us in order to help in that process of sanctification. This is part of the way that God does his sanctifying work in us. Now, repentance, so this means that repentance is not a one-time act that occurs only at conversion and then we no longer have need of it. But repentance is an ongoing, regular discipline that we must practice 
when we sin against God, even though we are his holy and dearly loved people. So this, I want to make clear the ongoing nature of this. Just like you sleep, right? You sleep on a regular basis, right? Every night you ought to sleep. So also, repentance should be something that we do regularly. Not because we want to do it, but because sin is an ongoing reality. Again, not that we accept that, but that's just what it is. And so we need to be regularly repenting of our sins. If you're familiar with church history, remember Martin Luther, right? Wrote the famous 95 Theses on the door of the church in, in Wittenberg, right? Wanting to debate the Catholic Church over a series of 95 arguments, essentially. The very first one of those theses reads this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Now, Luther was arguing against the Roman Catholic system of penance, right? We'll talk about this a little bit on Sunday. We're doing the uh, ordinances, the sacraments of the church on Sunday. And the Roman Catholic Church has seven sacraments, and one of those sacraments is penance, right? You go to the priest, you confess your sins, and the priest tells you something that you need to do in order to absolve yourself of those sins. All right? So let's just say, I told a lie, go to the priest, and the priest says, go say ten prayers, uh, ten Hail Marys or ten Lord's prayers, and that by doing that act, you'll be absolved of your sin. And Luther had a problem with that for what obvious reason? What pays the penalty for our sin? Jesus Christ and his death, Christ crucified, his death alone, right? The blood of Jesus washes us and cleanses of our sin. And so what he was arguing against was the fact that the Catholic Church was wanting you to add a work to something that Christ had already done. And he said, no, that the, uh, what Christ has done is sufficient to pay the penalty for our sins. And how believers deal with that then is not penance, not going to a priest and getting a list of things to be done to absolve yourself of sin, but to repent. And he quotes uh, Matthew 4.17, which also is Mark 1.15, the parallel there where Jesus says, when he started his ministry, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And the word repent there in Mark 1.15 or Matthew 4.17 is in the Greek language in the present tense. And the present tense in Greek is an ongoing thing. It's a regular, habitual action, right? So the repentance that we're called to, again, is not just a one-time repentance at conversion, but it's just something that we do and continue to do as Christians whenever we sin. So, every time we sin, the proper response of the Christian to that sin in our lives is repentance. Now, it doesn't mean that we need to continue to repent of that same sin over and over again. So let's say, for example, that um, um, I harbored or I acted rudely to a fellow church member, and it was very sinful how I dealt with that. I don't have to keep repenting of that particular sin over and over and over again. Now, if I keep doing that same sin over and over again, then I need to repent of it. And there are probably even more issues in my own heart that I need to deal with besides that. But once we repent of a sin, that's it. You don't have to continue to feel guilty about it. You need to be assured of Christ's forgiveness for that sin. Okay? But whenever we sin, our response should be to repent. And repentance should be a mark of the Christian life. Okay? And the idea of repentance as the response to sin in a Christian's life lies at the heart of of Edwards' resolution number three which again reads this, if I resolve that, my, I resolve that if my spiritual sensitivity wanes, become le- I become desensitized to spiritual things, of godliness, righteousness, become desensitized to sinful things, so that I fail to keep any part of these resolutions, that I will repent of everything I can remember 
when I become spiritually astute again. So in other words, Edwards resolved that whenever he became aware of his sin, his response would be repentance. And the same thing I think is helpful for us, that when we become aware of sin in our own lives, then the appropriate response ought to be repentance. So living a life to the glory of God and walking by faith in the Christian life will include repentance from sin. I think this goes very well with the church discipline message on Sunday. And one of the things that I encouraged in that message was for us to really take our own discipleship seriously. We want to, I think, be at a place where others don't have to confront us of our sin, that we're already aware, right? We're doing, um, uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, examine yourself, right? I think Peter says, make sure your calling and election is sure. In other words, take stock, evaluate your life, reflect, see if there's anything sinful in our life. And if there is, then take the opportunity to repent of it. And then, of course, repentance, as we talked about last time, means that not only are we turning away from that sin, but we're turning to the thing that God would have us to do. And I'll talk more about that um, next week. But let's just take a moment to um, 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 just go before the Lord in prayer. I want to read a couple of passages as we're, as we're praying, if you're, um, as just a couple of psalms that I think are instructive for us in this regard. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. And think about David's psalm of confession. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. For you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You would not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Let's just take a moment, maybe think of our, take stock of our lives, even just today, and see if there's anything you need to confess before the Lord and repent of. And um, even thinking of David's words here, just to confess that to the Lord. Seek his forgiveness.